0: Welcome to Fact and Fiction, I'm Natalie. This podcast brings you the best information and fun tidbits about a certain person's life. This week we're talking about William Shakespeare. I'll be talking about his early life, his writing life, his death, and everything in between. Church records show that a William Shakespeare was baptized at Holy Trinity Church in Stratford-upon-Avon on April 26th of 1564. Basically, with baptizing, they would wait a few days to kind of make sure the baby doesn't die, basically. So the birthday would have been most likely a few days before. Sometimes it can be even a longer time period before, but uh, generally it's a span of a few days. So it is generally believed that he was born on April 23rd, 1564. Sometimes it's April 22nd, sometimes April 24th. Generally can be assumed it is around that time. Not exact dates, but we get an idea of when, when it was. <laughs> so there is that. And William was the third child of John Shakespeare, who was a leather merchant, and Mary Arden, who was a local landed heiress, which is pretty cool. And... And he had two older sisters named Joan and Judith, along with three younger brothers, Gilbert, Richard, and Edmund. So large family, as would have been typical for this time. Again, because a lot of kids die when they are children. So lots of children. And so his father was a successful merchant and held official positions within the town, including an office resembling that of a common day mayor. However, records indicate that John's fortunes declined later on, shortly after the birth of William, and very few records exist regarding William's childhood, especially education, and that'll become an issue later on when it comes to debating his authorship of the plays. But scholars have gathered that he most likely attended the King's New School in Stratford which would have taught him reading writing and the classics the classics were major major in this time period like everybody knew them everybody understood references which is why there are about 50 billion references to classical myth within Shakespeare's plays and other like plays and records of the time and he undoubtedly would have gone there being a child in this town and being an official's child at that because who his father was. William Shakespeare married Anne Hathaway, uh, not the actress, different woman. You can go to a visitor house in England still. So yeah, different woman. Married Anne Hathaway on November 28th of 1582 in... Canterbury Province. She was from a small village that was a little bit west of Stratford, so probably encountered each other at some point. And William was 18 when they got married, and Anne was 26, so that's an eight-year age difference. And as it turns out, she was pregnant when they got married too, so that probably had something to do with it. Their first child was a daughter that they named Susanna, who was born on May 26th of 1583. And then two years later, they had twins named Hamnet and Judith on February 2nd, 1585 is when the twins were born. William Shakespeare, relatively young, but is a father of three children by the time he is like 22 years old. So that's a lot of kids to have by the time you're 20. By the time 22 years old, seems like. It's a happy, fairly happy family for the most part. Unfortunately, Hamnet died of unknown causes at age 11, but both of the daughters survived into adulthood and married following the birth of the twins again in 1585 there are seven years of william shakespeare's life where no records exist this could be due to like they got lost which happens or they just weren't kept because he might not have been doing anything all that interesting to be honest he could have just been living in stratford upon avon with his family just doing family things and maybe working somewhere to get some money so probably probably what happened Scholars refer to this period as lost years, and there's wide speculation on what was happening during this period, including some very interesting and wild, wild theories, including one that he might have gone to hiding for poaching game from a local landlord. And another possibility is that he was just working as a schoolmaster in Lancashire. So yeah, that seems a little bit more likely now, doesn't it? Yeah, but again, not really known what happened, probably just living a fairly quiet life, which, I mean, if you were living a relatively quiet life, why would there be any records surrounding you? I mean, there really, really wouldn't be. It is generally believed he arrived in London sometime in the mid to late 1580s and may have found work as a horse attendant at some of London's finer theaters and thus... The theater and his fascination and everything with it will be born out of that. Moves to London, begins working with the theaters as an attendant, and thus everything is going to spiral up and up and up from there. So now we're going to be talking about William Shakespeare moving into William Shakespeare, the famed playwright Famous, famous playwright, obviously. By 1592, there is evidence, actual evidence for once in Shakespeare's life, there's actual evidence that William Shakespeare was in London living as an actor and a playwright and was earning money and possibly had several plays produced by this time as well. So there was... In addition of the Stationers Register, which was a Guild publication in September of 1592, that included an article by another London playwright named Robert Greene that kind of poked a little bit at Shakespeare, (laughs) which is interesting. Of him, it said, There is an upstart crow beautiful with our feathers that with his tiger's heart wrapped in a player's hide supposes he is as well able to bombast out a blank verse as the best of you in his own conceit, the only shake scene in a country. So basically just saying he's kind of nothing. He thinks he's a lot better than he is. It's essentially what that said. Thinks he's a lot better than he is. And these playwrights who are already established, like such as Green, don't exactly enjoy this. And by the early 1590s, documents show William Shakespeare was a managing partner in the Lord Chamberlain's Men, which was under Queen Elizabeth, known as Lord Chamberlain's Men, because the way that that kind of worked is there would be kind of a patron of all these different acting companies, such as the King's Men, the Queen's Men, the Lord Chamberlain's Men, all these like big high up people in the... Royal kind of household would have these different companies that be the patron of and it was a really big deal to like say you're like the Queen's playing company or stuff and you generally thought to be like the best if you're one of those kinds of people so yeah that's kind of the dealio behind the naming. And following the crowning of King James I in 1603, the company actually was allowed to change its name to the King's Men because James was like, I want them. They're the best. They have Shakespeare and some other really famous actors and everything so i want them to be my company because they're acknowledged as the best so become they become the king's men and from all accounts the king's men company was very popular and records show that shakespeare had his works published and they were sold as popular literature of the day so you would be able to go buy his little plays and be like oh that's so cool so very well to do and lots of the nobility as i said before were patrons of the performing arts and these companies and also friends of the actors so it's highly possible that shakespeare possibly talked to king james i mean he was the playwright for the company so that's kind of shakespeare becoming this famous famous playwright within the london stage By 1597, 15 of the 37 plays he would eventually write were published, and in addition to that, he would eventually also have written 154 sonnets throughout the period of his writing career. And then it was also around this time that civil records show that William Shakespeare purchased the second largest home in Stratford, which was called the New House. So he's doing really well with all this like publishing money, he's got all that, he's got that play money, you know? So he buys this big house for his family and he's like, cool! I'm rich, basically. And it was a four-day ride by horse from Stratford to London. So most likely Shakespeare spent most of his time in London writing and acting and doing all that. But he would come home during times when the theaters were closed, such as religious celebrations or in cases of plague outbreak, fire outbreak, and other issues like that that would involve the theaters being shut down. There was a certain number of people that if a certain number of people died in a week during the plague that the theaters had to shut down because that was obviously a big way that the plague could spread. All these people, like, crushed in on each other. It would be, like, 20 to 40 people or something like that. Somewhere in there would be the the bar set for when the playhouses had to close. And the actors often really hated this because it was, like, depriving them of their livelihood because then who knows how long these plagues would last because basically every week that the death number was above that they couldn't be opened so it was kind of an issue but I thought that was really interesting that they had like this line like it would be set it could be set at different levels depending on the plague outbreak but it was still there for when the playhouses had to close so then he would go home during those times and then by 1599 Shakespeare and his business partners built their own theater on the south bank of the Thames River which is of course became known as the globe. The first globe. (laughs) There were multiple globes. (laughs) It burned down. It was fun. And then later, a few years later, after they had become the king's men after the accession of King James to the throne in 1605, Shakespeare purchased leases of real estate near Stratford for 440 pounds, which then doubled in value and earned him 60 pounds a year. So that was a lot of money. So not only is he getting all that nice play money that I mentioned earlier, the play and publishing money, and acting money and all that stuff. He now has enough money to build the Globe Theater and to buy this real estate that is yielding him back a lot of money per year. Like that, that's a lot of money, 60 pounds, a lot of money per year. Very enterprising entrepreneur, William Shakespeare, which you don't think about, but there it is. He knew he was very smart. He knew what he was doing. And so he's able to take this money that he's earning from these other endeavors and kind of invest it towards paying his expenses, whatever expenses he has. And then this allows him to focus on writing his plays uninterrupted, which obviously it's a very good thing (laughs) for him and his business, all that nice play money. I keep saying play money, it makes it sound really, really weird, but it's fun to say, so I'm gonna keep saying it. You can kind of separate Shakespeare into a a few different themes and a couple different periods. There's the early period and there's the later period. And the early period is mostly made up of histories and comedies, while the later period is mostly made up of tragedies and what I'm going to be referring to as romances, because they don't fit into any other given definition of what they should be. They're very confusing. (laughs) It's like, you don't, I don't really know what To call them beyond that. That's the kind of given definition for these kind of later on plays that most uh, scholars use for them now. His very first plays were mostly histories written in the early 1590s, examples being Richard II, Henry IV, Henry V, all of those Richard or Henry plays are are histories. They're histories, they're long and they're histories. And they mostly focus on the Tudor dynasty and justifying the Tudor dynasty, which obviously would have been important because you want to please the ruler. And who's the ruler during that time? Queen Elizabeth. So you want to please Queen Elizabeth, who was the last Tudor monarch. This pleasing thing comes back around to Macbeth, which is a tragedy and falls into the second half of his career. And that was written with King James in mind because it's Scottish play. And essentially, it is the foundation of the Stuart line in a way, which it's not that the Stuart line is the ones who are in control at the end of Macbeth, but it's implied that they will be soon. So again, always please the monarch, always please the monarch, because monarch can kill you, so got to please them overall. He also, during his early years, focused on comedies such as A Midsummer Night's Dream, Merchant of Venice, As You Like It, Twelfth Night, those kind of famous comedies that we know and love today. And then moving in to about 1600 and after is when the tragedies and romances start popping up, especially especially the tragedies like the period after 1600 between 1600 and about 1605 or so had a lot of tragedies including Hamlet, King Lear, Othello and Macbeth. So very much changing how exactly he was working. It's unknown what really caused this shift in His play style writing, maybe it's that he was getting older, advent of a new monarch kind of changed things for him, death of his son. Lots of things have been suggested for why this shift happened away from the comedies. I mean, the romances, as I will explain, contain elements of comedy, but they also contain elements of tragedy. So that these romances fall into the final period and they include The Winter's Tale, The Tempest and Henry VIII. So they're different Because if you ever read The Winter's Tale, the first half of it is essentially a tragedy and the second half is essentially a comedy. And it doesn't make a lot of sense because normally you can tell very clearly what is supposed to be comedy and what is supposed to be a tragedy, which is why there's kind of this different definition given to them. They're also sometimes known as problem plays because it's unclear what exactly genre to put them into. That is those ending ones. Very interesting. The Tempest is one of my personal favorites. It is excellent. And that one is more fantastical in nature. Again, this different sort of genre that's not really able to be classified. There's that. So major, major genres he worked within. Whether or not they would have been known by these genres at the time is probably unlikely. These are more definitions given to them in the years afterward as a way of classifying them and separating them out. So again, that's histories, comedies, tragedies, and romances. And they kind of Generally go in that order. I mean, there's a few sprinkled in later on, like that kind of thing, but generally they kind of go in that writing order. That is a little bit of information regarding his plays. Lots of plays, as I mentioned before, 37 plays written in his lifetime many famous ones, many famous adaptations that you've probably seen, and you have definitely, definitely read at least one of these plays in high school. I had to read Romeo and Juliet. I don't know what other ones. I've heard people had to read Othello. I've heard people had to read Macbeth. People had to read Romeo and Juliet, Midsummer Night's Dream. I think it varies. I know some people read multiple, but personally, in high school, I only had to read Romeo and Juliet. I'm sure you've probably heard some rumor surrounding the idea that William Shakespeare could not, for some reason, have authored his own work that has his name on it. But there are reasons for that, and there's also reasons to consider that that is not true, that he did author them. A while back, a long time ago, uh, scholars and critics began to proposition the idea that possibly other famous literary figures of the day, such as Christopher Marlowe, Edward de Vere, or Francis Bacon, could have potentially authored Shakespeare's plays because they were men of higher standing and literary accreditation or inspiration, whatnot. And so they were put out as alternatives because the idea is that Shakespeare, we don't know a lot about his early life. We don't know a lot about his education. It's unknown what level of education he had. So, the idea came that maybe he couldn't read or write and so it had to have been somebody else using a pen name. However, that is not exactly the most logical because again, by that very instance of the fact that we don't know his whole line of what education has, who's to say that he couldn't read or write. And the official records do show that William Shakespeare did exist, but none of them attest to him being an actor or playwright. However, that doesn't necessarily mean that he wasn't because as we've mentioned before, didn't always write down everything that you would have been and again, if he wasn't working in Stratford as an actor playwright, they might not have recorded that he was. He was one. So, yeah. The vast majority of Shakespearean scholars do say that he wrote his own plays, and they point out that other playwrights of the time also had similar histories where you don't know a whole lot about them, a whole lot about their education. They come from modest backgrounds. Doesn't mean that they didn't write them just because they didn't come from a more upper-class background, kind of assuming that because you come from a more lower-class background, you can't have written. This isn't really an accurate representation of whether or not they actually did, and... Supporters of Shakespeare's authorship argued that the lack of evidence surrounding his life doesn't mean his life didn't exist, which I think is an important point. Just because you don't record something doesn't mean it didn't happen. Because <laughs> it's like, why would you kind of record every instance of this child's life because you don't know that this child is going to become famous. You don't know that. I mean, at the time, it's impossible to know such things. So it kind of makes sense that a more middling class person wouldn't have had that much written about them because they wouldn't have known. But... What is true is that William Shakespeare was a respected man of the dramatic arts who wrote plays and acted in them in the late 16th and early 17th centuries, but recognition for his creative genius wasn't recognized until the 19th century, and then his acclaim and reverence for him grew throughout the following century until we reached the height and the high popularity of his plays today and the high amounts of like interpretations of his plays and play form and movie form and TV show form and book form and all these different kinds of forms. All sorts of references to him, even in music. Yeah, and now they're studied in classes all over and all sorts of things. So while there is the debate that he might not have authored his works because of the lack of evidence for his education, by the same token, who's to say he didn't author his works because... Why would they have recorded all of his education if he was a middle-class child? So that's that. That's kind of the controversy surrounding Shakespeare and his life and his work legend has it that he died on his birthday April 23rd of 1616 and again this kind of goes back to the very beginning when I was talking about how we don't actually know the exact date he was born but we like to put on April 23rd and we like to put his death on April 23rd so we can say he lived exactly 52 years so that's kind of what we like to do (laughs) so though there are many people who believe that is a myth but again can't exactly know his exact Death date. Like, we can't, just like we can't know his exact birth date. But church records show that he was buried at Trinity Church on April 25th, 1616. So it seems likely that he would have died around April 23rd again. So. It's nice to be able to put them on the same day, you know, just remember exactly ex- this exact amount that he lived. So in his will, he left the bulk of his possessions to his eldest daughter, Susanna, and relatively little seems to have gone to his wife, Anne, but again, that could be like we just don't know how much stuff he actually had and what was actually left to him, that kind of thing. And this is a thing that people talk about a lot, is that in the will, he bequeathed Anne, his wife, his the second best bed. And this has drawn speculation that they didn't get along or something, or they were out of favor with each other. But there are a couple of different explanations for this whole second best bed thing. It is believed that that second best bed could refer to the bed that actually belonged to the main couple of the house and the first best bed went to guests. I've also heard or read that it's possible that the first best bed would have been the one that Shakespeare died in and as such they would have gotten rid of it. So she would have kept the second best bed. It does not indicate that they were not close or they had a difficult marriage at all. It's just the way the times were. There's a couple of different explanations for what happened to the first best bed. (laughs) So yeah, that's the kind of point of his will that a lot of people like to talk about a lot. So anyway, passes away on April 23rd, most likely, and exactly on his birthday, or most likely on his birthday again, and the world loses a great literary figure. And yeah, and that's the end of William Shakespeare. There you have it. A general overview of William Shakespeare's life, his writing pursuits, and some fun facts you might not have known about him before. Thank you for listening. I'm Natalie. This has been Fact and Fiction. Don't forget to hit subscribe to hear more episodes and learn more about interesting people in history. You can check out the podcast on iTunes as well as on our website kcsufm.com.